Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I'm Chris Dixon. Time truly is our most valuable resource, and it is so important that we can make the mindset shift to view our time as an investment and be intentional about where we do this investment of our time. And today I had Dan Martell on the podcast, and Dan and I talk about how you can think about becoming a time warrior. And Dan shares his incredible backstory and talks about things like how you can do a time energy audit, how you can leverage things like capital, collaboration, and content to get the most value out of the investment of your time. Here at The One Thing, we believe it all starts with purpose. Having a purpose allows you to prioritize the things that matter most so you can live a life of productivity towards the goals that you've set for yourself. If you like what you hear on this podcast and you're interested in how you can turn your time into an investment, go check out theonething.com where we have a very special workshop we're running each month called The One Thing Foundations where you can learn to bring the principles, the concepts, the tools of The One Thing to your daily life. So check out theonething.com for more information about the One Thing Foundations Workshop and enter promo code podcast at checkout for $100 off. Let's go talk to Dan Martell about how you can buy back your time to become a time warrior. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the One Thing Podcast. We're very lucky to have Dan Martell on with us today. And Dan is an entrepreneur, angel investor, and became highly sought after as a coach in the software industry after exiting three technology companies in only a 10-year period. He's also an Ironman athlete, no big deal, philanthropist, husband, father of two incredible boys. And Dan, I know you're passionate about helping entre entrepreneurs achieve their goals, as are we. Uh, you have your own podcast, The Growth Stacking Show, and you have your coaching program, The SaaS Academy. And I, I really appreciate that you say anyone can succeed if they're willing to put in the work. I think that is so true. And Dan, you've got your new book, Buying Back Your Time, that's out. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. Chris, my pleasure, man, and super honored. As I mentioned before, um, I am a huge fan of The One Thing, the podcast, and uh, I'm just here committed to give you 110%. So um, in many ways, I'd like to call my shot and say this could be one of the best podcasts you ever do because I'm literally going to give you stuff I've never shared with anybody anywhere um, as almost like an honor for the opportunity. So I'm excited. Man, let's do it. I love where we're headed. But before, before we jump into the book and, and what you're up to today, do you mind sharing some of your background? I know you've had an interesting path getting to where you are. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, I start the book with with uh, kind of my backstory of growing up. And, you know, I, I had a really tough childhood. I got diagnosed with ADHD when I was 11. Um, I ended up getting uh, introduced to people that I shouldn't have when I was in my early teens and getting into a life of crime. My mom was an alcoholic. I really struggled with, you know, that side of things. I had an anger issue and my life spiraled out of control to a place where, um, I was drunk and high in a stolen car and I had a handgun sitting next to me because I told myself if the cops pulled me over, I was just going to point the gun and let them do their job. And I ended up getting into a high-speed chase. And as I was trying to get away from the police, I, uh, I ended up crashing in the side of a house and I went for the handgun. And for whatever reason, man, like 
I just kept pulling on it and pulling on it and it got stuck. And I remember waking up the next morning as a 17 year old in a jail cell and just literally wondering what my life was going to look like. You know, I was like, man, am I going to, am I going away for two, three, five years this time? Like I knew how severe the situation was. And I ended up in an adult prison, uh, for six months because of the severity of my crime and my, my criminal record. And I had a, uh, you know, it wasn't the first time I actually been to juvenile detention. And while I was there, I got in this fight uh, with this kid named Kurt and thrown in the hole, which is like probably one of the worst things you could ever have happened to you. And on the third day of sitting in this like concrete, you know, square room, um, only let out for 30 minutes a day in this, like this area that like had a, you know, a it was like fenced in big, you know, 20 foot cement walls. So sunlight, no, no real sun. Um, and just staring at the, you know, the stainless steel toilet bowl and sink, you know, in my cell, like they didn't, they literally, it's, 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 it's the worst, it's the most inhumane thing you could do to another person. And on the third day I had, um, one of the guards named a guy named Brian, uh, opened the door and he was, he just had this look of disappointment because he was, he was always one of those guys that, you know, if you respected him, he respected you, right? Most of the other guards were actually not very nice people. Let's just be honest about it. But he was like, you know, if you if you listen to him, he'd let you take a second dessert. If you, you know, uh, didn't talk back to him, he would, you know, look the other way if you were staying up later in your cell or whatever. And, you know, I always kind of looked up to him because he was just kind of a man's man. And he he pulls me out of the cell and he's, he asked me to follow him. And I walk him down. I walked down the hallway with him and we go past the unit that we were in. Okay. And, and I'd never been past that door. I mean, when you leave the unit, so there's the cell blocks and you're like in a line and you're filed behind the other person and there's no messing around. And he walks me past that door and we go into the next, next door, which is the guard unit that overlooks the two cell blocks. Essentially that's how the, the prison is built. And he asked me to sit down. There's nobody else in there. And I, and I, and I knew I wasn't supposed to be in there. And, uh, Brian sits me down and just grabs a chair and rolls up to me and I'm facing my back to the, to the cell block, the two way mirror. So I could see inside, but I've never seen inside this room. And he just looks at me and he goes, what are you doing here, Dan? And I was like, well, I got in a fight with Kurt. He goes, no, not, not that man. He goes, what are you doing in this place? And I was like, well, I got in a high speed chase and, you know, I had guns and drugs and he's like, I don't get it, man. Like I've been working here for 10 years and I've met a lot of kids just like you. You don't belong here. And if you've never had anybody tell you this, I want you to know, like you, you, you shouldn't be here. And I don't know what it was, man. It was just like, maybe it's cause he'd been there for so long or that he took the time to tell me that it literally inside of me, something snapped that said, okay, well, if Brian sees this, then maybe there's something there. Like in my heart, I always felt like I was a good kid. It's kind of crazy. I got in so much trouble, man. My whole life, just always the kid that gets in trouble. I have two brothers and sisters and my dad would joke. It's like, everybody be doing bad stuff. Dan would get caught. And in that moment, Brian poured belief into me that I don't think I ever heard anybody else. And I just decided I'm going to change my life. And I got out shortly after released to this incredible 
rehab center where I did 11 months of therapy and learned about my personal story and my anger issues and my emotional uh, response to things, a lot of the trauma and relationships with my family. And it was at the end of that program that I was helping Rick, the maintenance guy, clean out one of the the, the old cabins because it was built on a church camp, this, this cool place. And uh, in one of the rooms, there was this old 486 computer with a yellow book on Java programming sitting next to it. And I never touched a book. I never touched a computer. And I open it up and I follow chapter one. And within 20 minutes, I get the computer to say, hello world. And I was like, whoa, okay, maybe, maybe there's something behind this. Like maybe I'm a, I literally, I don't know if you remember Doogie Hauser. that's way beyond, but there was this, this, this like young prodigy doctor kid TV show. And I thought maybe I'm the Doogie Hauser of software or something. I don't know. Like it didn't, it, it surprised me. I was like, how did I do this? And, uh, that literally became my new addiction. I got out shortly after and, um, just became obsessed with writing code. There was something about the process of the repeatability of writing software that just spoke to my heart. I think I grew up in so much chaos that just the, the comfort in creating something that would act a certain way predictably, like when I had so much uncertainty in my life, it was so certain if you just made the code work, it would always do this for the rest. Like this idea of like, for as long as the servers are running, the computer is running, it will do this thing. And that became kind of my area of focus what I became obsessed with. And then entrepreneurship. And I discovered this small thing uh, shortly after I got out called the internet. This is 1997. And that's been my life, man. I've gone, Chris, full on. Like, I'm a software guy. And I just happen to have learned business along the way and understanding how to get leverage. And there's been so many challenges uh, ups and downs throughout this whole process. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people see my life today and they go, well, how did you do, how did you come from that to this? And I'm like, I just one day at a time, literally just one day at a time, focused, willing, this belief that I'm, I, I'm, I'm here for a reason. And it's why I was really excited to write this book and get it out to the world. That's such a crazy story. And, and congratulations on success. And it's, a, it's, I think, inspiring to see how you could turn such a potentially negative situation into a, a jumping point for your career and, and just fill that, that void of what was formerly filled with, with bad, with opportunity. And it's great, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's still a big part of my life. Like I, I go speak at the, I speak to kids all the time. I, I'll probably speak in front of 5,000 at-risk youth this year, just like trying to share my journey, my story, the challenges I, I continue to face and just let them know that there's possibility. Cause like there was no person like me that ever visited us in prison. Like there just wasn't, there was no successful CEO that came in and said, I know you guys are feeling like you're worth zero right now, but I was exactly where you were, if not further down a hole. And let me just tell you about my journey and where I've gotten to and give people hope. I think it's one of the most powerful things we can do for people. Yeah, it's great. And we were talking about before the podcast started, the decision to to write the book and and why not to go specialized into software or you know technology and keep it as a a more general, for lack of a better term, approach towards like productivity, time management, how to build businesses and and go that route. Do you think that was in part inspired by the 
belief that that guard had in you and, and a, a want to kind of give that back in a broader sense? That, that To me, that's everything. You know, when I sat down um, to write this book specifically, two parts. One, I'm following my own advice. So buying back my time from teaching this framework to all my friends and family members, um, I've had so many conversations with people about leadership and and leverage and all the concepts I talk about in the book that I just wanted to like put it in a package. And when I wrote the book, I sat down and I outlined 25 people that were entrepreneurs at different stages of business success and spoke to them. I mean, a lot of people who read the book, they go, man, it's like you're looking into my soul. And it's, it's because depending on where you're at in that journey, I wrote for those people and I use their their stories, their challenges, their their feedback to me, their objections, their headspace. And I tried to represent that to create the uh, connection in the book to the material to, to motivate them forward. Um, so it was, it was very much a, a passion project. I mean, it's, it's outside of what I do normally day to day. I mean, I buy software companies. I coach CEOs of software companies. But everybody's seen the life that I've created, you know, like, as you mentioned, like being able to travel two and a half months a year with my family to training for Ironmans and, and run on the CEO of two eight figure companies that I easily and happily lead as the CEO. Um, so people always like, how do you do so much in a day? And I was just like, well, it's this and it's this and it's this. And now, now it's the book. So now they can just get the book and learn all of the best stuff when it comes to, For me, it's teaching them how to build a business they don't grow to hate. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash O-N-E-5-0 and use code O-N-E-5-0 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. The more and more time I spend around entrepreneurs and, and leaders of organizations, it's, there's a disdain that starts to build over time because they're they're giving up so much of their freedom and they're the sacrifice and it becomes a this this love hate 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 relationship over time and so you're you're making all this creating all this success with the business but you're unable to really celebrate and enjoy it because there's the sacrifice you're making and it's not necessary is what you're saying it is not necessary and i would actually argue it's the wrong way to do it i mean the premise of what i teach is that the more you grow, so we don't hire people to build our businesses. We hire people to buy back our time. And it doesn't matter if you're an executive or the CEO of the company. When you hire people to come into your team, you should be looking at your calendar first to free up your time, right? Like the argument is, is that my VPs, my directors, my you know senior leaders, they 
they should be doing as much strategic, unique things that light them up, right? And to the degree that I can free up their time, my time to do things, that, and I talk about this in the book, it's part of the drip matrix, to do one of two things, either give me energy, so take all the stuff that sucks my energy off my plate, or creates value for the company, for your team. So activities that generate revenue if you're the CEO or you know, create opportunities if you're you know, in the revenue stream. But to me, the, that's what you want to do. So if every time I deploy dollars, right, for people, what's called labor or collaboration, right? Um, I look at it through that lens. It's impossible for you to build a situation where the more you grow, the more you hate your life, because technically, the more you grow, the more you're doing things that you love to do. And, and it's creating more outcome and results for your team, which will allow you to get more resources to be able to do more. And that's, that's the fundamental premise that most people get wrong. That until they see it the way I lay it out, they go, oh, that's why I shut down my company, or that's why I quit that job, or that's why I didn't enjoy doing this type of work is because I didn't look at it through this lens. Mm. It's so it's so often that you hear the the question of like how, like how do I solve this problem you know strategy tactic versus who do I need to solve this problem right and then you're saying within that who it's also just try to put it into that matrix or simply like there's two primary buckets if I understand and it's you know are they adding value or giving you back your time in a way that it's rewarding for you Totally like when I work with clients privately we do a time and energy audit. It's part of the buyback loop. So in the book, I, I break down the three steps of the process, which is audit, transfer, and fill. So the first step of auditing is looking at our calendar over the last two weeks and say, well, where do we spend big buckets of time, right? Is it in a lot of project management meetings? Is it in you know, editing content? Is it in um, you know, just even personal stuff, scheduling travel, coordinating this? Like, There's just so many different areas of opportunity that most people just never audited. Once you do that, then you know I teach the process of highlighting in red things that take your energy and highlighting in green things that give you energy that you enjoy doing. And then giving each task a dollar sign of cost, right? And if you look at it, you, it's just simple, simple math, like $1 sign versus $4 signs, like expensive versus not, right? Like somebody that's got my skill level, that's $4, very expensive. But administrative stuff would be like $1, but it might be $2. If you then look at your calendar through that lens and take everything that's red and everything that's one or $2 signs and put it into a bucket and go, I'm not going to add anybody to my team unless they can buy that time back, these activities, these tasks, then that's the forcing function for you actually to do the right thing in business or in your career, which is I need to free up that time, 20, 30 hours of my week, so that I can go do the stuff that's green that's going to make me more money. I'm going to fill it. So that's why it's audit, transfer, fill. It's how do I fill it? But most people, I mean, this problem, Chris, is most people, if you gave them 10 hours, they wouldn't know how to fill it, right? But I can guarantee you it's not doing the, the low value stuff. Sometimes I like to frame it this way. Um, you know, whatever you're doing, these tasks, right? Uh, scheduling, travel, or would you would you allow somebody to pay you to do that work for them, right? Think about it that way, Chris. If you're editing videos, would you would you allow somebody to hire an hour of your time to edit their videos? And if so, what would that number be? Like, what would you charge them? And most people would be like, "Well, I wouldn't, but if I did, it'd be at least three hundred bucks or five hundred bucks." 
It's like, perfect. Well, honor that for yourself because you're hiring you to do that work. And that mental shift, people go like, you're right. It's like my dad. He used to own real, uh, he owned about three or four rental properties. And every Sunday he would go mow the lawn. And I remember I was like in business and building leverage. And I got, I got to my first seven figures. And I, I remember talking to him. I said, dad, why do you still mow the lawn? And he goes, I love to do it. And I just said to him, I said, if you love to do it so much, why don't you offer to mow the neighbor's lawn? He's like, oh, I don't love to do it that much. And I said, well, I think your definition of loving to do something is a little different than mine because I love to do what I do. I'm meaning that if I had more hours in the day, I would do it. And he's like, yeah, well, I look at things differently than you. And, and that's kind of the same idea is that if you, you know, th- that, that frame is a good way to think about it. Would you allow somebody to pay you to do that activity? No, then you shouldn't be doing it yourself. Figure out how to get leverage through bringing people around you to support you. It's such a it's such a mindset shift. I mean, even at the the fundamental or the most fundamental level to think of your time as an investment versus an expense, right? Just getting to that place first to say, hey, you know, it's it's kind of a catchy thing that we say, but you know, don't spend your time, invest your time, but truly getting that switch flip first to say, okay, my time is an investment. How can I be intentional about where I use my time to give me leverage towards the things that I've set out for myself? And you said, like, hey, if I gave you go ahead, sorry. Well, you said the word leverage. And I think that's the part I just want to unpack for people real quick. There's, there's only four ways to get leverage. If you have high leverage, it means very little input for maximum output. If you have low leverage, then you have high input and low output, right? Like people need to understand like somebody that is on a construction crew, you know, doing roofs has low leverage in their position, right? So if that's the case, and this is true for myself and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, we're all looking for leverage. It's what are the skills? What are the, the levers to pull? And there's only four. I call them the four C's. They're almost like the four master skills in business. The first one is capital, right? We all know that with capital, we can get leverage. So that's a master skill. Some, some people don't understand capital. They don't understand like, oh, maybe I should invest in a delivery to my, my home. Maybe I should pay somebody to come in and clean my house. Maybe I should do meal prep because I can deploy capital to buy back time, right? So capital is one. Second one is content. Um, this podcast, for example, whether it's listened by a million people or a hundred million people, there's no extra cost. A playbook in your business, a system, a process that you sit down and you write out, and then a hundred people can follow this playbook and get extraordinary results by following the steps, the recipe. Huge leverage, right? Third is code. If you think of automation, software, tooling today, AI, right? AI is probably one of the highest forms of leverage right now. AI will not take your job. Somebody using AI is going to take your job. Okay. That is, that is the message. And then the fourth level of collaboration or um, the fourth level of leverage, the master skill is, is collaboration, right? It's people. It's what I predominantly talk about in my book is how to think about your time. As you mentioned, an investment that it's not a cost. I'm going to invest in myself to build the skill of getting leverage when it comes to collaboration. And there's a whole bunch of stuff around that. It's, you know, are you a good leader? Are you somebody who can delegate? Can you create a system and a process? Can you hold somebody accountable? So, so there's a whole bunch of areas around that that I unpack in the book because I want people to have very little input and get maximum output by using collaboration and labor as leverage. Such a great point. It, it, it's a a transition you have to go through as as a leader in that example to to understand how to do that correctly and and 
you know, understand how to delegate, but do it in a way that's collaborative and knowing how to get leverage to have a net greater impact with the work you're doing with your team in a way that's reciprocal. And it's, it's, it's a, there's something that has to happen in my own experience and in, in, in training others that you have to get over to see that maybe it's through exposure to other people or tools like your book, but it's not inherent in most to understand how to do that collaboration in a way that creates that. Well, I think it's not inherent because most people don't even understand what their time is worth. Right. And that's mm. why it's it's the one of the first few chapters I talk about your buyback rate and and really quantifying that value. Right. And then the belief that an investment in you is a positive return. Right. Here, here's what I learned a long time ago. I, I get entrepreneurs reaching out to me all the time. They're like, you know, what should I do with my extra money or whatever? One time I had a a young kid, he was probably 19, reached out to me on Instagram and was like, you know, I just inherited a hundred thousand dollars. You know, what should I do with it? I want to be successful in life. And I gave him some very, you know, unintuitive advice that I knew he probably wasn't going to follow because it's so crazy. One, I said, go pull out $5,000 in cash and put it in your pocket and walk around for the next year and don't spend a penny. And the hundred grand, don't spend it. Go put it in a GIC or a money market, like just a T-bill, whatever you want to do, but do not invest it. Do not think you have to rush to go deploy it because you got it. Because you need to learn, you know, Jim Rohn used to say this. He's like, if somebody gave you a million dollars, you better hope that you become a millionaire really quick. Because if you're not, it's, you're going to lose it, right? And what he was trying to say is just because you have money doesn't mean you're a millionaire. Because if you don't know how to manage the money, you're going to, the people that do are going to get it. You're going to depart with it and they're going to get it. And so I, I said to that to him. And then I said, once that year's up and you walked around with $5,000 in your pocket, which sounds crazy to people, but like, look, he hasn't gotten mugged in the 20 years he's been alive. So probably not going to happen. You're just going to learn to be comfortable with money. Then I said, invest in you until you have $100,000 in savings. He's like, what do you mean? I said, just invest in you. Invest in little things, in books, the one thing. Go get a seminar, go get a course. Invest to be around people that could support you. Invest in a mentor. Like put money into things that grow you because you are the only constant that's going to be true. In every interaction, every dealing, every situation for the rest of your life, you are the constant denominator in all those interactions. So the better you get at communicating, collaborating, thinking, strategy, um, the skill sets, right? The skill set of creating a playbook. That's a skill set. Read the book, Sam Carpenter's book, Work the System. Awesome book on that, right? Checklist Manifesto. The better you get at those things, that's how you create leverage. And I said, just keep investing until you build an, an economic surplus where you've got $100,000 saved in your business, right? And because and, that's what I, I wanted to teach him how he could become somebody that didn't need somebody to give him 100000 but he became worth that through investments in himself and his skills. And once you understand that, then you understand what your time is worth and you, and you start to build, build this belief that I'm worthy of investing in myself, in skill stacking talent. Right. And I think any person from, you know, uh, Gary or Jay, um, they would agree that the investment in becoming world class at skills, master skills, is how we create outsized economic outcomes for our lives. There is no other way. You don't just happen to just stumble across being successful unless you get better. Because even in those situations, we've seen it with people that win the lottery and professional athletes. Those people, immediately give it all back, right? They haven't built the skill. You know, uh, I was listening to a guy once 
at an event, he was saying this. He's like, people want, they want $100 million. They're lucky they haven't gotten that $100 million because those people would end up with about $10 million in debt in three years and, and be bankrupt and upside down because they haven't, they didn't develop the skill on how to manage that kind of infrastructure, right? Like people don't realize to manage a portfolio of real estate or uh, a fund or your own, your own personal net worth, like it requires, it's complexity, right? Like I have a team, a, like a family office that manages the tax and the bank. I mean, the bank, I have, I remember the first time my, 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 um, my finance guy shows me, he had created a whole chart of all the legal entities and structures to manage. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is a thing. Like this is almost like its own <laughs> company. And I think most people don't realize is that being wealthy and creating wealth requires you to, to learn skills to how do you assess these people? How do you set up contracts? And those are only going to come if you value your time to make those investments. Man, it's, it's such such great advice. And it makes me think of this distinction that you need to, to create or separate. And that is the difference between what you want to achieve and who you need to become. Yep. In order to even be capable of achieving it. And that's why we believe so much in first, like figuring out like, where do you want to go? You know, what, what are your goals that like, let's go someday in the future, figure out directionally what's accurate for you. And that helps so that you can back engineer to, you know, where you are today, but starting with like, who are you today? Like locate yourself so that you can figure out first, who do I need to become so that I am capable of achieving the goals that I've set. Chris, that, that is so, um, wise. Like a lot of people say that, but they don't understand the nuance of what you just said of like, you know, some people think, well, I wrote down a goal, so I'm going to achieve the goal, but they don't actually reflect on who they, who's the person that does achieve those kind of goals. Right. And if I was that person today, I would have already achieved it. You know, another way to think about it, I I share people, I call it the $10 million in 10, 10 days feeling, right. Is you need to actually walk around the world with a knowing a deep knowing and belief that 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 outcome you're you're trying to get after the person you're going to be is going to be like that will happen right if i gave you a a bank draft for 10 million dollars chris and you went to the bank and you went to deposit it and they said hey chris congrats i don't know where you got this but uh wow that's amazing um but you know b- because we you know we need to verify some things this money won't be available to you for at least 10 days right how are you going to feel walking around like in your body and your soul knowing I've got $10 million coming to me in 10 days? My argument is you need to act like that for your goals, for your mm. desires, that deep, deep knowing of this will happen because that person will attract the people, the circumstances, the opportunities to, to have that. But to the same degree that you got to believe you're worth investing in, you got to believe that these outcomes are possible. And if you can hold a belief, if you can have a clear vision for the outcome you just talked about, right? Like these are the goals I want. If you have clear goals and you believe 100%, 100% of the time. So those are the three things. 100% clear vision, 100% of the time, um, or 100% the belief and 100% of the time. That's what is the, um, the, quantifi- the quantifier for accelerating those goals to you. Right. That, that, that almost the same certainty. I got $10 million coming to me in 10 days and I just got to wait. How would you act? Act like that every day. That's such a cool thought exercise. I love the way you broke that down. You know, 
you, you have some of that uh, on an extreme end, like the the power of intention, kind of the secret, if you remember that from, from the, totally. the 2000s. Totally. R- Rhonda Bryan, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. And like, there's, there's some of that that's hard to connect to, but at the very least in there by imagining like what that person is for yourself, you can be clear about the characteristics of it. There's confidence that comes with that. You start to align the actions you take in the moment to meet that person, to become that person. So it's just clarity about where you want to go and who you want to become. And it's, it's cool to, to think about it that way. 100%. It's, it's just, like you said, it's a thought experiment that um, when you can allow yourself to dream a little bit and imagine, because I think imagination is such a great skill that it, 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 it gives you that smile, that confidence. You just said, it. I love the language because it's like so perfect. It's, can I allow myself to get excited about this future? right? Some people are so Mm. clinical about it and they're like trying to create all these systems, but they don't feel it. To me, when I think about the moments that I've had the biggest uh, breakthroughs, it's because I had a feeling inside of me. Yes, I did the work. Yes, I wrote things down. Yes, I had clarity of vision and it it was a plan, but it was the feeling I had that actually unlocked the outcome. It's awesome. It's it's difficult for, I think a lot of people, especially if you're busy or you believe yourself to be very busy and your time is is very limited to take the time to invest in your own reflection and to get some space to think about those things like who do I want to become or where do I want to go and it's head down you know visions maybe the horizons two three five days in front of you is as far as you can see and it's difficult I think you have to actually dedicate the time and be intentional about saying hey I'm going to ask myself some of these bigger questions and I'm curious for you and how you approach that, or if you have any recommendations for someone who's trying to get some of that clarity. Yeah, it's fun because I I had to add it to the book. In, in chapter uh, 12, I believe, is a 10x vision map, right? Like dream bigger, achieve bigger. Because I knew, all right, I'm going to teach you how to take these low cost, low uh, energy sucking tasks off your plate. And then I'm going to tell you how to stack them up and get real leverage, right? I really want to help every executive and CEO out there create leverage in, in their, their world so that they have more resources, right? Like, like the more you produce, the more dollars you have to do more of it, right? And, and I, I wanted that. But I also knew that if I didn't give them a process to dream, to focus on the future, to believe, then they wouldn't have the forward pull, um, like a magnet, bringing them to get through the tough times that would a thousand percent show up um, when things just got tough trying to implement this stuff. And so for me, it always starts with a vision for our lives. Now, it, this has been written about by so many people, right? I mean, I would I'd give a ton of credit to Think and Grow Rich and Napoleon Hill, The One Thing. I mean, there's so many books that talk about clarity of vision of just knowing what we want to achieve. What I would encourage people to consider, which I think is a bit of a relief is that the good news is you don't have to be a thousand percent, right? Some people have a hard time defining it, right, Chris? Because they're like, well, I don't know. And all I'm saying is it doesn't have to be right. It just has to be there. Like whether I want to be a professional athlete or not, write it down. If you want to be the world's top YouTuber, write it down. If you want to be the number one business person in your state, write it down. If you want to be the the most successful version of somebody in in dance or whatever it is, write it down. And just having that forward motion will impact your day-to-day that will unlock your ability to reflect and refine. Like when I look at my 
vivid vision that I have for my life, right? And I talk about the 10X vision map in my book. Um, it, I refine it every year, right? Every year I get new information. I have new conversations. I go to seminars. I read books. I talk to people that inspire me. And I go, you know what? Maybe, maybe that isn't the right path for me. Because when I check in with myself, my heart tells me like, no, that I think you should do this. And guess what? Oh, geez, that's weird. If I do that, it unlocks this. So, huh, I I have more desire to do this thing now that unlocks the other thing I'm going to get. I'm going to get on, on the way to that thing. And I feel like that's the the fun part about this is the bigger the 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 why and the what, the easier the how, right? And I can never, and Steve Jobs talked about this. He said, you can only connect the dots looking back. The moments of serendipity, of things that happen, when I was just focused on the big picture and I and I allowed myself to disconnect from the how, it doesn't mean that you just wake up aimlessly. I still woke up with a definite of purpose and an aim, but I was open to the world showing me different paths. But what I always had was that vision and I, I took action today. And what I do is I just, I just, it's part of my routine. You know, another part of the framework I teach is called the uh, preloaded year. We're on a rhythm in a year I do this. We do this for our businesses every quarter. We do quarterly and strategic planning. My family life, my wife and I do quarterly retreats where we do strategic visioning for our family. It sounds crazy to some people, but why wouldn't you? Why, why are principles that work in business not applied to our personal lives? I do not know. Um, and I do the same thing with monthly reviews, uh, weekly introspection. You talked about it, like I put it in my calendar. It's in my calendar every Sunday night. I look at my week, I look at my goals for the quarter, I look at my goals for the year, and I go, does this week, if executed, get me the outcomes I want to achieve? And if the answer is no, then it's like, okay, I got to buy back some time, or I got to cancel stuff, or I got to say no to things. Because every time we say yes to something, we inadvertently say no to something else. Just most people aren't making those conscious decisions in the moment, because they don't have that time to reflect. So to me, it's vision, and then measurement throughout. And I do it for my personal, I do it for my health, I do it for my relationships, I do it for my business. Man, so so many good things in there. And uh, you're right about the saying yes, saying no. I mean, it's it's you, you don't always think of it that way. And I think most people don't say like, hey, if I'm saying yes to this, I'm saying no to many other things, potentially, a lot of things. And when you do say yes to something, there's also the other side of it that you're going to have to defend that yes a thousand times a week and continue to say yes to it. And that's challenging for people is to commit to a goal or a vision or a practice or a process and then defend it like hell a thousand times a week to stay on track. And it's, it's yeah. interesting one. But I'll, I'll, give, I'll give everybody a real example. My friend Rachel was telling me the other day, we were just talking and I was checking in how things in their business. She has a, a creative agency. And she's just like, oh, you know, like things are good, but I'm just feeling a little burnt out, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? And she's like, I don't know, man. Last few days I've had a couple meetings at 6 a.m. because she's on the West Coast and she has clients on the East Coast. And she's telling me this. And I was like, well, what are some of your goals? And she, you know, she, her goal was to like produce more content and, and invest more in like the, the personal brand stuff. And um, what happens was, is when she gives up that 6 a.m. spot to a potential client or meeting on the East Coast, she loses that creative time. All mm. I had to do is remind her that her saying yes was saying no. And I said, what's more important to you? That you get that client meeting or that you achieve your goal for the year? She's like, well, the goal for the year. I said, perfect. Then you have to be willing. And it takes trust to renegotiate 
Because I said, would the person have been willing to meet at one in the afternoon or later in your morning? So you had that time. They're like, probably. I just didn't ask. Oh, interesting. That's why it requires us to focus and have a rhythm of reviewing our goals for the year weekly so that we don't inadvertently say yes in a moment of weakness or wanting to be polite or desiring to to move our business forward because it's easy. It's like, okay, you need to meet at six. I'll just say yes because I don't want to miss that opportunity versus saying, no, this is more important to me. And I'm willing if the person is like, oh, they they can't meet at six. So is this going to be part of our relationship where I'm not going to be able to get time with you because of you know our first call? And you have to be willing to put that constraint in place to do what you know. It's kind of like when you're flying, they say, put the mask on first before you help other people. I know I'm going to have more capacity and more to give if I honor myself and my goals in what I call the perfect week. So that when I show up, I am, dude, I am so here with you. Like, this is the thing, Chris is like, when I'm on a call with a business partner, having conversation like this, I want to be all in. There's no distractions. So that requires me to create my rhythm of my day so that when these moments happen, I've got the best odds in my favor, right? I can get into flow state. I can connect with, with my, my desire to give back to people because I'm not tired. You know, this is a problem. She was saying, I'm tired because I woke up at six and then I tried to get into my creative process to do some writing and I just couldn't get into it. And then she's beating herself up. Well, do you think that's positive energy or negative energy? No, it's negative. So, so there's like this domino effect that people don't even consider when they don't put themselves first and their goals first by saying yes to something we're inadvertently saying no. That's really great advice. You can tell, you can tell you're wearing your coaching hat when you had that conversation. A little bit. <laughs> and I listen, know, you, I ask yeah, questions. <laughs> hey, that's it. Be curious. And you, you said something before that I think it's really important to call out about this this weekly routine and and rhythm with checking in on your goals and we 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 have a catchy saying we call it forming a relationship with your goals and for us that's writing your goals down breaking them down into their kind of critical milestones and then checking in and adjusting your plan weekly and that for us is how you form that relationship over time and do that I mean start 30 minutes a week review your your prior week and then project into the upcoming week put your time blocks in place that are your priorities before everybody else has come in and walk them, defend them. Yeah. Lock and load. I mean, I do something that's quite unique um, because sometimes I realized when I was early in my career that um, I felt better when I was connected to the big goal. So I think sometimes what happens is we like go through our planning process at the beginning of the year and then we get busy with our work and, you know, we might check in once a quarter, maybe once every six months. You know, worst case, there's stuff that you wrote down in January that was like a big thing, but you didn't look at it. It could have been a personal thing, a charity thing, a community thing. And then December rolls around and you like pull up that document or that thing. And you're like, man, I didn't do anything to move this forward. Yet I had moments and times throughout my day where meetings got scheduled or I was driving or a late flight was delayed or whatever that I, I probably could have done something. So what I installed in my life a long time ago was the idea of triggers. So as I mm. go through my day, there's four meaning, There's four times a day I look at my goals for the year. Okay, This is outside of my Sunday planning and review stuff. It, and it's just for me to connect with those 12 goals. These are 12 personal professional um, goals that you know, when I sit in my car, before I start the car, I pull out my phone. It's, the, it's, it's literally on my phone as a notes file. And I just review them. I just read through them. 
just think through them. I try to believe the belief who is the person who would achieve that stuff from donating 10,000 copies of a book this year. I want to give Think and Grow Rich to every high school kid in my city because that was a neat thought experiment. What would happen if you actually gifted that book to every kid in your city over the next 15 years, right? Like, whoa, that was a cool. So I'm like looking at this. Oh, I got to message my buddy Trent or I got to reply to this email. I forgot to get back or whatever. So, so to me, just like connecting with triggers. When I sit in my office, first thing I do is I review my goals. I have a chair in my living room where I do a lot of my creative writing. Same thing. When I sit down, boom, I look at my goals. I think just the idea of frequency. I like the, the language of, of relationship. I want to build a relationship with my goals because you'll know if somebody has a relationship, if you ask them, what are your goals? And they go, well, I don't know. It's like, let me go look. Well, no, you don't have a, you don't have a deep relationship yet. If you can't spurt them out this, 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 and they're smart, right? They're smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, timely. It's like, so, so they're just, they're just things that are like, maybe I hope this happens. Now, for me, I knew that the frequency that I would review my goals increased the probability of me achieving them. Hell yeah. And you, you talked about something earlier with the, the rigor that we put into our professional goals, assuming you do that. More often than not, it's kind of a force function in organizations that, that trickles down depending on how much you influence those things. But you're more likely to have good rigor around goals, strategies on the professional side, probably going to be more likely to be specific, measurable, uh, attainable, time-bound, however you, you build the smart, but at least specific and measurable, then you look at the personal. And there is a world of disparity between the two, especially when you put them side by side. You've got all of these goals and all this rigor and all this routine, if you're in a good organization, about how you revisit the goals and check in, make you know adjustments, uh, distribute accountability and et cetera, right? All of that. And then on the personal side, it's, 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 it's just amazing to see the distinction. It's like, be healthier. That's, that's your, it's like, oh man, we got to yeah. work on this. It's like, that's more, not, neither more specific nor measurable. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like we, there's, it's crazy. And to your point earlier, like, why don't we apply the same level of rigor and commitment and structure and, and behaviors to our personal goals. I think it's just the, the natural tendency. This is why like a great organization builds a system for achievement, right? So it's like, imagine if a company had no process, they would have, they would probably have the worst run company, right? Like within months, the whole thing would fall apart. And maybe that's what people are doing in their personal lives when they don't take the same level of rigor is that they just don't see it because the impact is over 10, 15, 20 year period. But man, if you're intentional, right? I always tell people when they, when they come to me with challenges, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm not, I really need to make my fitness a priority. Or I need to make my business, my, my, my economics a priority. And I know when they say that, they, it's because they don't have a vision for that area of their life. Because if you have a vision for your relationship with your, your partner in life or your kids or your, your community, like if you have a, a meaningful vision, like something that's like, like pretty inspiring, then you have to do what you just said. You have to put in, you know, one-year targets. And because like, it's crazy for you to, to say, well, I have a vision that I'm going to be in the best shape of my life when I'm 50. It's like, okay, well then work backwards. You can't say that and mm -hmm. do nothing. Your brain immediately goes like, you're full of crap. Like, so I think it's just most people don't have a vision for their marriage. They don't have a vision for the relationships or their personal health. And when you're in a good business and, and they have a system for achievement, they almost 
force you. Well, I mean, they do. They say, look, this is how we operate. And if you don't follow these these rhythms and processes, then you can't be on our team, right? It's no different than a professional sports league. So um, I think it's easier for most because somebody in the company is creating that environment, whereas at home, it's on us. And left our own device for a lot of people, they're just like, I'm tired. I don't want to do that. That sounds like work. Oh my God, Dan, what are you saying? I have to do quarterly retreats? I'm not doing that. That's crazy talk. Okay. I just know my vision for my marriage is an epic relationship with a woman I'm going to love till the moment I take my last breath. Like I've got a clear vision for that and how I show up as a father and and how I show up on my fitness side, right? And if that's what it takes, because it does, I invest in it, right? The water, the grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. It's greener where you water it. So if you want your personal Mm -hmm. stuff to be at the same level, you got to make an investment. You got to water it so that it can, it can get better. Well said. I mean, it's who you want to become, not always what you want to achieve. And uh, yep. I want I want to give you a shout out. We talked about it earlier, but uh, you've got a few Ironman, Ironman under your belt uh, at this I point. Do, yeah, you did a couple of them. Yep. Yeah, I did uh, last year. Well, the last four years, I used to be a CrossFit guy. So I've competed in the opens and a bunch of re- like local competitions. So I did CrossFit for a while. Um, I just, when I, when I How had your kids, shoulders, <laughs> um, I, I luckily I have my left shoulder. I did injure, but I was, I was really quick to understand movement and, um, not allow the competition to push my weight. Like, you know what I mean? That's what happens mm. is, you know, you can actually relatively stay uninjured if you don't allow other people's weight decisions to, to decide yours. Right. Or, and, and work on form. So I actually went and got my CS level one, my certificate level one CrossFit. So I understand the range of motions and the proper technique. Um, again, I invested in me, in my health. Right. And then four years ago, I didn't know how to swim. And my friend was like, Hey man, you know, we were doing five Ks all the time. And then we bought road bikes. He's like, you know, if we did a swim, this would be considered a sprint triathlon. Like I grew up skateboarding. Okay. I grew up snowboarding. I, I refuse to wear spandex. Okay. Even the first time I went on my road bike, I'm wearing like gym shorts, you know, like basketball shorts on a road bike. I look like an idiot because I was just, I judged those guys. I was me, right? (laughs) Fast forward. And, you know, I started with doing a sprint and I got a DNF. I did not finish because I got a flat tire. I didn't know how to change my tire. I mean, this is how incompetent I was at anything triathlon. And I had to teach myself how to swim. I didn't know how to swim. And we did three sprint triathlons that summer. And then the next summer, we decided to do a half, which was this huge endeavor, like a half Ironman. Like, this is crazy. And we just showed up. I hired a coach and I worked with them. And then COVID happened. And all the races got shut down. But I have an audience of an online community that I, I absolutely adore and love. And, I, and, and I, honestly, they give me so much more because I realized I had a responsibility to them to show up in all this uncertainty in the world. I want to at least show up and, and preach the, and, and, and be authentic to what I've always said, which is control the controllables. I can't control what the world's going to do, what the government's going to do, or how the economy is going to shape out or anything. I can control me. Just because Ironman canceled their race doesn't mean I can't do an Ironman. And literally, I decided to continue doing them. And, and during COVID 2021, uh, all the races got canceled and we did a half and a full Ironman self-supported. We hired a time tracking company. So it wasn't an official Ironman. So then the next year we decided, all right, let's go do the official ones. And we did uh, the Trombalon half 70.3 and then the 140.6 in Trombalon again. And now I'm doing ultras. I mean, it's just funny. I went from somebody that 
really didn't run more than, you know, five to 10 K to this year, I'm going to do an ultra marathon and with 9,000 feet of elevation. So again, you just stack the wins. You just wake up one day with intentionality and try to be a little bit better. And then eventually you just end up doing stuff like last year as part of my training, I ended up doing a seven kilometer swim across the lake. I couldn't swim three years prior. And I did a seven kilometer swing across the lake because the fun fact, if you learn how to swim, it actually isn't hard. It's actually the least amount of impact cardio movement I do in all the stuff I do. You just need to learn how to keep your body floating and breathe. Like that's it. If you learn how to keep your body in the right position and breathe without panicking, then you're really just moving your arms at the pace you want to, to move forward. And with enough time, you will cover distance. And I, I just think it's just such a cool thing to learn. And I wouldn't have been able people to say that. Like, how do you find the time to do that and the businesses? Leverage. If I didn't, if I didn't learn this, I wouldn't have the time to be uh, a, an intentional father to my two boys. I always joke that every kid is homeschooled. It's whether the parents know it or not. Um, because most uh. of us just put our kids, well, most of us put our kids in government-assisted daycare called school, let's be honest. And um, I wouldn't be an epic husband for my wife. Right. I wouldn't have the date nights every week and the quarterly retreats in our, you know, because I would have been stuck in my business and I wouldn't have the resources to be able to buy back that time. And I'm just so grateful that I learned this stuff. That's why I'm I've been excited to get the message out there and to share it with people that have a desire to live a bigger life. Cause I think it's absolutely within them. It's great, man. I uh I haven't done the the full, I've done a couple Olympic distance, uh, and I, I 70.3 next, Chris. 70, yeah, 70.3 yeah. next is well, the opportunity. What, which uh, which ultra marathon are you doing this year? I'm doing Squam Squamish 50K. So it's in Canada, in the mountains. Hmm. Uh, as I mentioned, 9,000 feet of elevation. It'll be yeah. nine, nine hours probably. It's going to be... It's going to be gnarly. And, you know, every year I try to do one significant thing, Right. But this is so crazy is that because I'm doing that, my friend's like, hey, we should do this uh, Spartan race. And I'm like, okay. Because like, I'm already going to be trained up for the, the 50K Ultra. So to do a beast, a Spartan beast, which is a half marathon Spartan with 30, 30 obstacles, all I have to do is add some, you know, grip strength. Yeah. I've been doing this all day long, literally grip strength and pull-ups. And then I've got... So that's the cool part is that as you stack stuff, just like skills, bringing it full circle, as we stack skills and invest in things and our capacity grows, we end up doing things along the journey that all of a sudden to other people look impressive, but they're literally just part of the journey. That's the cool part. Is one thing at a time up, over yeah, time. Yeah, you'll just keep that one thing. And then you'll be like, man, look how, look how high in the mountain I am. It's like, and people think like, how did you get up there? It's like, I just took one step and I just didn't stop. And then you know, it became easier. And then all of a sudden it's just, is your reality and your identity. You know, my friend Todd Herman wrote a great book called the alter ego effect. And what people don't understand is the alter ego is meant to design to, like you said, become the person who can achieve until one day, this is a, my favorite part of the concept is one day the alter ego and the person meet and they are the same. Like that's the whole mm. idea is that you play the superhero until to get through these tough moments in your life until eventually one day you are just the superhero. There's no playing a part. It's just, this is how I am. This is who I am. And, and I've seen people, if you believe in growth mindset, then you can go from 
introvert to extrovert. You can go from not knowing how to communicate to a world-class communicator. You can go from, you know, 50 pounds overweight to running a full distance Ironman. You can go from something you can't swim to doing a seven kilometer swim. If you're just willing to, you know, move forward just every day. And it's, and people think it's these big, these big actions. And sometimes it is, but for most of it, it's just compounded daily focus. So well said. Yeah, I really appreciate everything you shared with us, Dan, on the uh, podcast today, man. It's, it's been great. You're a wealth of knowledge. I feel like we could just keep going here forever, but I want to respect your time. If, if you could have our listeners just take one thing away from this amazing conversation, what would it be? It's this. I, I believe that every person on earth is here to do two things. Number one, you are here to become the best version of yourself, right? Do it for your family. Do it for your kids. Do it for your community. Do that. And then the second thing is share that person with the world. Like give that person to the world through your community, through your family, through your church, through your CrossFit gym. I don't care the the mechanism, but I just believe that the moment people listening understand, oh, that is the meaning of life for me to become the best version of myself and to share that person with the world, man, fulfillment is abundant. There's, there's, there's no lack. There's no depression. There's no, it's, it's that it's, I just need to become the best version of myself and share that person in the world. And through that activity, you will discover this whole different world all around you. That is just, it's like an HD. And I want that for people. So that's, that would be the message I'd love for them to take away from this. Well said, man. Thank you so much, Dan. If the listeners want to check you out, they want to get the book, find you on social, whatnot, where can they, where can they find you? buybackyourtime.com is where everybody should go right now. Go get a copy of the book. I know I wrote it, but I don't, this is not economically like my publishers make the money and all that fun stuff. But I I recommend people (laughs) go get it. And most importantly, because I'm trying to create a movement, if you get any value of the book, could you please, please, please leave a review on Amazon? That is the process for building the flywheel, for getting people to discover it, for people to read it and consume it and just share your personal experience because I put my heart and soul two and a half years of working on this book into there. Um, and then um, find me on social media. On Instagram is one of my faves, Dan Martell, two L's and Martell. And I put out daily stuff behind the scenes, how I back buy, buy back my time and how do I help other people become time warriors so that they can get more leverage in their, their, their day to create and produce more, just have more fun. Awesome. Dan, thanks so much. Appreciate you being on today. It's a great conversation. Looking forward to uh, having you back on sometime again in the future. Absolute honor. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it, man. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on -on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.